Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads and today's Roundtable Edition. Our topic is beverage alcohol policy and law, things that greatly impact the business potential of our bar and restaurant industry, and also weigh heavily on our brewery, winery, and distillery industries in the state. Joining me today are three esteemed West Virginians with special knowledge and expertise in these alcohol policy matters. First, I have Jeff McKay. Jeff McKay is uh, owner of the Summit Beer Station in Huntington, West Virginia. Welcome, Jeff. All right, thank you, Charles. <laughs> and next, we have Matt Kwasniewski. Matt is president of Big Timber Brewing Company in Elkins, West Virginia. Matt, welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads. Thanks for having me, Charles. Okay, and next, Chuck Johnson. Chuck is uh, an associate with Frost Brown Todd Law Firm in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, welcome, Chuck. Glad to be here. Cheers. Hey, cheers. And uh, last but not least, sitting in as my co-host today is Rob Absin, South Charleston, West Virginia, who also has a lot of background in alcohol uh, legislation and policy. So, guys, we're going to start with Jeff McKay today because Jeff has been most active recently and really started a, a whole initiative, it appears. And Jeff, I'd just like for you to tell what you've been up to and what's going on with the program you're working on. Yeah, honestly, uh, all of this stems from what we accomplished, what, nine or 10 months ago with, with getting some temporary provisions that allowed uh, curbside delivery and home delivery for uh, on-premise accounts. Uh, and I, I just felt that uh, the state wasn't being proactive enough to deal with uh, or to help uh, uh, the service industry coming into the winter months. Uh, so the, the, those temporary provisions that, that were enacted nine months ago were great uh, uh, over the, the course of, of decent weather, but um, the outdoor dining permits are, are, are not feasible right now uh, and and the home delivery sadly kind of fell a little flat and uh, I think a lot of people realized that there was a lot of labor to pay for there and, and there were too many other moving parts so um, I, I, uh, I began to get frustrated with, with some of the uh, responses that I was getting from the state and, and we were trying to we were trying to find ways to uh, be creative with it and utilize home rule and, and uh, everything was just falling flat, uh, essentially. So I got together with some, some local legislators and, and uh, other like-minded individuals and uh, we felt that we needed kind of a, a public campaign much in the same way that the medical marijuana uh, uh, bill was, was presented to the public and the legislature. Uh, kind of a, a people-powered uh, initiative. Uh, so I think that's, that's probably where we stand today until uh, some other plans further down the road. Um, and uh, I, I guess if you wanted to be going to uh, uh, specifics, I can, but I don't want to bog everybody down with details. Yeah, well, I think what we're hearing is that there were, because in large part because of the pandemic and a lot of the restrictions that that's put on re retail or on bars and restaurants that 
you're finding there are policies that could be improved that would help bars and retailers get through this tough business environment. I mean, that's kind of what I understood. Is that, does that describe it well? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's pretty uh, on, the, on the nose there. So the, the, the policies uh, that we want to enact and the code that we want to change, none of this is new. Uh, this is this is always this has always held us back. This has always hamstrung the industry uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, so uh, I, I felt uh, that that we could do more, uh, and I had the impression that the, the state maybe didn't realize uh, what kind of situation the uh, the service industry's been in. Uh, so I wanted to kind of maybe transition away from from what we accomplished nine months ago and, and, and hopefully uh, go back to the drawing board to, to find ways to, to uh, give uh, bars and restaurants some relief. Uh, so uh, our, our expenses are higher now than what they were before the pandemic. I mean, we're, we're spending more on paper, more on ink, more on labor to, to make sure that everybody's following guidelines. I, I, I'm purchasing masks. Uh, for, for people when they come through the door. Uh, I'm spending more on sanitizer. I'm spending more on cleaner, everything. So how do we, how do we begin to balance that, that out? Uh, and, and the easiest way I felt was to kind of tackle these, these long uh, standing issues that we have uh, with the current state code. You might uh, fill us in on, in your view, what might be the top one or two of those longstanding issues that you would like some relief from? Yeah, for, for me, the, the, the big one is, is Code 60. Uh, code 60 needs <laughs> uh, updated once again. I know that there, was, uh, there were some changes, what, four years ago in the 2016 session, but there, there are, there are a, a plethora of issues with Code 60 and how we deal with liquor in, in West Virginia. Oh, yeah. You know, I understand that. They're, they're probably a way long list, longer than we can get into today. But yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm not about to, to tackle the, the minutia of, of Code 60, but that, that's, uh, that's agenda number one for us. Um, and and if, if Justice or the ABC uh, uh, don't attempt to amend that even temporarily, uh, we already have a, a we're setting things in motion to do that through the, the, the next legislative session. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I know you're saying the code chapter, that's a big, it's got everything in it. Yeah, it, it, it needs tackled. I mean, that, that, that's just the, that's yeah, the but that would take an immense uh, amount of everybody working together. And so what are you doing to get all those people together? I mean, how, how is that gonna, gonna happen or how would you like to see it happen? Uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the momentum, uh, has, has picked up in the last week, to be honest. Uh, uh, I've, I've received numerous calls from legislators and, and, uh, I have a meeting with the chamber of commerce, uh, coming up. And, and I think that, I think that we can kind of plug and play all these individuals and, and, and find, uh, uh, ways to make this happen in, in the next session. Um, and, and from what we understand is that because that's a constitutional issue that, that um, it might present some issues, but the, we can amend that uh, uh, hopefully as easy as what we could writing an entirely new code. Um, 
but that that's just the <laughs> that's the tip of the iceberg for me. There are other kind of operational regulatory issues that that we can uh, uh, fix as well. Yeah. Well, so what is like something that's ha that you're specifically regulated that's a real pain in the rear right now that you mentioned uh, some of the record keeping thing, I guess, or, but what is well, it that, that's really hitting you in the pocketbook as a re as a, as a bar owner? Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, honestly, if we're going to talk about the pocketbook, the, the, the licensing structure and the permitting structure at the ABCA is, is entirely too regressive. <laughs> That's just full stop. It's too regressive. Yeah, they but the to... uh, wait, but the private club laws. Do you think the, the fees are too high? Is that what you're saying? For private no, no, no. And any any extra permit that you would like to add. So. Oh, okay. What's uh, hundred bucks for a growler? If you want to do wine gift back basket delivery, that's another two hundred fifty. If you want to sell wine to go, that's another two hundred fifty. If you want to have curbside delivery, you have to have ten thousand dollars worth of groceries. It's, it's those things that, that I think that is item number one that, that we have to, to tackle. Uh, uh, and those things need to be baked into the annual license. They just, they just do. And if we come back out of, out of this pandemic in the next fiscal year and we want these businesses to survive, we need to give them the, the, the means to survive. Uh, we are not getting fiscal relief from the state. We just aren't. There's $800 million sitting <laughs> somewhere. Jim Justice knows where. And if if they aren't going to help us monetarily, we need to find ways to, I guess, nickel and dime the state to, to make this easier for the rest of us. So if, if you spend the extra 250 bucks to do uh, wine to go and you have a growler, license or growler permit and this that and the other thing it adds up to nearly a thousand bucks that's that's a lot of money for labor that's a lot of money for uh, uh inventory it's it's um <laughs> it's just too much money period yeah well i want to bring everybody else in now uh maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the ways of this relief could come about i mean i think rob you had a, an idea on some relief. I just throw that out. You told me about it earlier. Yeah, this one's just a just an idea that I've been kicking around for like a week or so. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that can be done through in kind of a temporary measure that, uh, you know, that licensees would be able to get a rebate on excise taxes for what they've sold and, and maybe the liquor taxes particularly. Because I know you guys are paying essentially what is it double the state sales tax when you go and buy your liquor retail and then you again have to tax it again when you it's taxed with standard sales tax at the point of sale so it's being taxed three times you're getting 21 percent more or less when you get right down to it if right. you could get say that 14 percent you're paying retail back for just for what you bought in 2020 and say the first nine months of 20 or you know eight an 18 month period whatever would give you an opportunity to move that uh, is that something you think would actually be helpful or is that, is that just kind of a non-starter even like that really would amount to much? I, I think that's good for a, a club licensee. Uh, I think in a more comprehensive way, I would love to see a, a, some sort of maybe sales tax rebate. Okay. Well, the uh, excise tax would, would cover the, the actual beer you sold too. Like the, you know, what, that's that's true. Say, that's true. Yeah. So whatever that comes out to. Uh, Matt, what is that per keg 
right now in the state? What's the excise uh, tax? The beer excise tax? Yeah. 18 it's cents a gallon. 550 a barrel. 550 um, a barrel? Yeah, so half barrel keg, 275. Okay. Yeah. Six still a little under a buck. Um, now, here's the second thing that I, I, I just, this just came up while you were mentioned. You did mention that, you know, you said we don't need or not need to, but we probably won't start writing an entirely new code. But have you thought about the idea? Have you, any of you, any legislator, legislator kicked out the idea of maybe throwing this up to the West Virginia Legislature, West Virginia Legislative Institute, which is run out of the law school up in Morgantown, which pulls together all kinds of interested parties to come up with um, completely new pieces of code. They've done this with probate code in the past. They've done this with landlord tenant law in the past. And, you know, for example, I worked on it in law school with landlord tenant and we brought together landlords. We brought together tenant advocates. We brought together all sorts of different, in, you know, potentially interested parties and tried to hammer out a proposed code to send to the legislature. Um, have you thought about the idea of approaching some of the legislature with the idea of kicking this up to say the law school, maybe actually propose a uniform alcohol code that will pull together 1116, chapter 60, wherever the wine stuff is, all this stuff and pulling all together in one code and having one place where you could look at it and just say, this is the code. Is that something you've kicked around or even aware of? Yeah, uh, so I had a meeting with Delegate Hornbuckle uh, two days ago, and we've got um, kind of a three-pronged approach here. We are going to, uh, um, hopefully, and, and of course, this is just the beginning stage, we, we want to certainly tackle uh, 60 uh, that I mentioned already. Secondly, we want to begin to kind of shave away some of this red tape and, and uh, kind of uh, operational regulatory issues that, that we can easily just uh, strike through. And then third is to do something comprehensive. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think one of the things you could do with the licensing fees is just have that stacking occur only on the initial license. And after that, once they've already reviewed you, you've got a license for these various types of license right. to not have that uh, added fee in the future. And that would simplify that. We could also simplify our licensing, initial licensing, just like other states. Ohio is very easy to get your initial license. Right. They've expanded their alcohol industry dramatically with that. And then as far as the tax impact, I think I've got an idea about maybe a tax credit for those manufacturers, whether it's brewers, distillers, um, cideries that had to have a capital investment to get through this COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of people had to do new bottling lines. They had big capital investments in, in a time where their revenues were, were challenged. And I think maybe we could see if there's uh, an appetite for a tax credit for those folks. Yeah, that wouldn't really help the retailer uh, side or the bars and restaurants so much, but that is a, a yeah, maybe we'll get to Matt and see uh, what what the brewers think about uh, some tax credits, additional tax credits for uh, investments. I, I think there were some that had investments on the retail side, but Jeff, you know better than I do. Maybe we could look at that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, to me, it all comes back to the permitting. I mean, think of all the people that, that once they shut down, had to go through all the hoops with the state to buy the, the growler permit. 
and and, and uh, the upfront costs of of buying growlers and getting uh, uh, crowler machines and uh, all this stuff is just beginning to, to add up and uh, we don't have enough opportunities for for points of sale uh, that that's the bottom line for me is that we're hamstrung with the way that we can sell our product, uh, whether it be uh, third-party delivery, curbside, uh, uh, any number of, of uh, opportunities to, to sell product. We can't, we can't sell uh, uh, sealed containers of liquor. We can't <laughs> sell sealed containers of, of, of wine under normal circumstances. And, and I want to make it abundantly clear that Simply because we had these temporary provisions doesn't mean that they will be permanent. <laughs> that yeah, I mean, those space. were emergency rules, right? I mean, those when the emergencies end, that, that those would go away. Yeah, well, I have customers that are under the assumption that once the pandemic is over, that these will be commonplace. And I tell them every single time, do not get used to, to eating and, and, and having a meal in the street. Do not get used to calling an order and... and having us bring it to your car. Uh, and I think that's the, for me at this point uh, in this campaign is the motivation uh, to get customers and, and the average citizen of West Virginia involved. Uh, this will affect them as well. And I think that they, they need to, to have that understanding. How that soon, if, uh, sorry, well, how soon will we, you think we'll have a document or an outline that people can see so they know what they're supporting that they could then take that to their legislator or governor or whatever. So yesterday I posted on uh, Summit's Facebook page a script for people to uh, use to contact the, the governor, the ABCA commissioner, the uh, 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 Chamber of Commerce, Senate president, and uh, who else? I've got it right here. Speaker of the House. Oh, Roger Hanshaw, yeah. Yeah. Speaker of the House. And um, uh, 12 hours later, I was already receiving feedback that the ABC was inundated with phone calls and emails and that they were personally responding to every single one of them. Uh, they are referring all of those people to um, uh, Senator Blair, and they're also forwarding all emails and voicemails to Senator Blair. So this is within 12 hours. So I think that, that we need to get and, and continue to, to have that momentum from, from customers. And, and the, my feedback was, uh, uh, or that I, I received was that, that the state was unaware of, of what uh, the service industry was going through, that they felt that things had continued to progress in a normal way and that they didn't need to do anything uh, effectively. So um, uh, we just need to maintain pressure as far as I'm concerned. One, one, one final question for me. Go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Beedsy, have you spoke with anybody in Senator Blair's camp, him directly, or or anybody in his in his general? Because he he's real important when it comes to this kind of stuff right now. And my experience with him in the past is he's been a little resistant to some alcohol stuff, but that was several years ago. So, uh, I have not spoken to anybody directly. Uh, people I've been working with have. Okay. Uh, and my perception is that he uh, he's willing to, to, or at least whoever's in his office responding is, is willing to, to hear us out. Okay. Uh, I, I, 
I don't know how people, uh, uh, um, well, how in tune people are with what happens in the legislature, but uh, things are interesting right now to say the least. So uh, there's, a, there's a big divide in the Republican Party and, and there are a lot of things we need to tackle in, in, that, in that regard. So if we, can get, if we can get Republican leadership on board, I think we're golden. So Jeff, we have pro over a thousand you know, licensees of liquor and wine restaurants and bars in the state. They employ thousands of people and generate millions of tax dollars. How far along are you in getting those folks organized really to be the ones that do the heavy lifting in this, this, you know, this effort? Uh, I, can, I can think of a, a, a select few of, of other small business owners who are uh, uh, active uh, behind the scenes, not nearly as, as uh, open as I am with it. But uh, it, it, to be honest, it's been tough because their, their time and resources are, are maybe better spent in other ways. Uh, maintaining their restaurants, uh, ensuring that uh, they, they uh, keep their staff employed. And I understand why they might not want to spend the same amount of time that, that, that I do. Uh, but I, uh, it, it's been hard. Uh, I'll be frank. It's been, it's been hard to get other businesses on board. Yeah, just if, if it's a critical issue that people are going to go out of business, if they don't get relief, you would think they'd be inclined to want to really speak up and speak loudly. And I hope they do. No, I, I agree. But I think that the, uh, I don't know, the, the importance in, in uh, some small business owners contributing their own sweat equity into their business uh, uh, maybe takes precedence over trying to battle a traditionally uh, difficult <laughs> state to work with in terms of getting things changed. Uh, I think there's there's certainly uh, um, I don't know it's 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 a struggle to motivate people to work with a state that is resistant to change. Mm -hmm. it, it's uh, it's years and years of disappointment and and resentment uh, and uh, honestly it's it's baked into to what it means to be a West Virginian <laughs> and we're just used to these things so. Uh, uh, I, I'm not one to, to, to uh, uh, sit and, and do nothing. That's just the way I've been, but I don't, I don't blame anybody else for, for not acting the same way I am. Well, Jeff, I think you guys have a good voice here. You have done, remember the adjustments you got done in between March and April? That was done quickly with a, a good group. You were involved, probably Matt, the Craft Brewers Guild, a bunch of people got some changes made, and that happened quickly. And in the past, we've had some really good effort with the, the Joint Committee on Economic Development. Mm -hmm. And here, this has had such a huge impact on the state that I think they, they would be open to listen. And frankly, last year we got, you know, in March, we were talking at the Farm to Bottle uh, Summit, and we had uh, 12 active bills still live, and eight of those passed. One of them got vetoed, but that's a pretty good record. So. I think there's people in the legislature that really sort of get it and people like you really can get this out there. And, and I think we just need to pressure this in the right way. Maybe if they can take up something in the joint committee on economic development to see what we can do to help the industry, I think we can make some future adjustments. 
Yeah, and I, I think that uh, it, it's imperative that uh, state officials realize what impact <laughs> this has uh, at the state level. Uh, and and I, I, I get the idea that this, the state doesn't necessarily understand how bad the service in industry has it because they are making uh, uh, copious amounts of money with, with liquor sales right now. Uh, so <laughs> retail liquor sales does not tell the story of bars and restaurants. So uh, there's an existential uh, issue to be had here. If, if we enter the next fiscal year and we have uh, maybe conservatively 25% of bars and restaurants that, that can't survive the next three or four months over winter and can't afford to, to uh, purchase their licensing fees, can't afford to, to shore up any tax issues with the state in order to, to get their annual license, then the, the ABC has a funding problem, a very bad funding problem. And the state has a tax problem. So I, I don't understand. And for the life of me, uh, I am continually mystified that the state has not done more to help this segment of, of, of the West Virginia economy. Uh, well, you're exactly right. And what that does is that echoes around the state because you guys anchor communities in ways you, besides your own sales, you know, with tourism and everybody else, uh, you know, uh, interacting in your communities, th this is a bigger impact than just the alcohol sales. So I think that this has, uh, we need to get this voice out there. And I know you're frustrated, but you guys have uh, have a voice and there's the, the importance to the state of this industry can't be underscored. I think, I think people get it. We just need to get focused and try to get their attention. Good yeah. points. And uh, Jeff, we'll definitely put a link up with uh, this uh, website uh, for your uh, your guide to what you'd like, you know, what people can do and who they can contact. Um, and is there anything else though, that you'd like to say about what we could do or what you'd love to have the craft beer community do uh, that could help this move along? get started <laughs> uh, I you know I, I specifically I, I don't really have an answer <laughs> uh, I, I, I really don't know because we, we don't have we don't have we, we don't have anybody to lobby for us that, that's that's the ultimate issue uh, uh, there is no uh, uh, bartender or server union in West Virginia there is no uh, really, well, there's no restaurant association. Yeah, so I, I think we're we're swim, swimming upstream in that regard, yeah. and, and and that's why I think it's so important to get customers uh, actively involved in this. Uh, uh, they they can, I mean, honestly, they, they they would probably mean just as much as as a restaurant association. But um, if they speak loudly and 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 with <laughs> with enough participation, but um, uh, I think that. Uh, I would like to see I would like to see more West Virginia breweries involved uh, because the, the there are things that West Virginia breweries and and certainly regional national breweries could do for accounts that that we we can't legally uh, uh, accept. Uh, uh, so I mean even if I, I mentioned it uh, a few days ago even uh, the the issues with with POS and and glassware 
uh, I, I can accept unlimited amounts of Jack Daniels pint glasses in my bar and not get in trouble for it. No fines, nothing. It's perfectly okay. But if Matt were to give me one Big Timber logo no, pint. No beer. <laughs> I can't accept it. And, and I, it's just one of those other small things that, that adds up and kind of snowballs into to a, a bigger issue. Um, and, and like I said, I don't want to get bogged down. There are a dozen yeah. other small issues. but Well, that's, uh, I think that's a good segue over to the Brewers side of this, and I want to get Matt Kwasniewski into this conversation. Matt, uh, you've heard certainly you're kind of involved in both the, as a retailer. You know, you have your brew pub, and, and you're also certainly the brewer, and you do distribution and everything else. Give us a little uh, – review of where you guys stand and what you're looking at with uh, policy these days and what you think is important, to, especially anything you need changed. Well, I would like to kind of piggyback on what Jeff was saying. For one, Jeff, please reach out to us whenever you do something like that. Cause like with the politics and I'm, I'm a little disconnected, but I can at least uh, push it on our social media or whatnot, but you know, politics and, West Virginia, it's, there's still a lot of geographically, and I haven't heard anything from like Elkins side of retailers or on-premise accounts that were trying to help push the state. But if you let us know, we can definitely get the word out there. Um, that way it's not just the reps down in Cavill and Putnam pushing, we'll get some up in Randolph and Tucker, so, yeah. um, but uh, and then with the state, I, I mean, my biggest issue with them is they're trying to play into the confines of the laws that have been set before them. And basically, I don't know how much has changed in the last 80 years, and at least on the beer side of things, exclude the last 10 years, maybe, or the last five even. But it's like 80, 90 years ago, the thought of what the what beer laws or regulations needed to be done it's kind of mind-blowing that we're still playing in we're confined to that thought process I, I mean if they just wiped everything out and then said this is what needs to happen they could probably write two pages of policy and say you know call it a day because it's it's way more complicated because they're like, well, it's been done this way. There's a track record. And it's like, you, you don't need that. What are you trying to accomplish? We're trying to, okay, protect the three tier system. That's fine. It, 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 there's benefits to that, but to sit there and be like, well, you know, private club, the, you know, we, we can't ship beer, everything, any change is, instead of looking at it as how can we make this easier, it's like, wait, why would we do something different? And I think it should just be, what are we trying to achieve? And let's make it the simple, easiest, most, most clear cut way to, to achieve that goal. And the ABCA seems to be, instead of, uh, and, and I think they're happy to work with us, but it's just that whole mindset that, 
okay, we'll make this change, but we got to have documentation of all this change instead of, well, why do we have all this documentation that no one ever looks at? Why not get rid of that and make this change? Because this is the only problem we see with this. Let's, let's make this happen. Like, this is the end goal. Let's find the simplest way to that end goal. Um, and uh, like the, the whole retailers thing, I, I just, and it's, it's something that needed to be done, I think, but something that really puzzled me was what in July they decided, um, you know, line cleaning was all of a sudden uh, an imperative for retailers. And it's like, way to kick them while they're down. I mean, for one, most people are short staffed, whatnot. Sure, lines needed to be clean, but most of these people aren't pouring draft right now. So, I, and I'm just like, how did this get rolled in and nobody knew about it? At least it was a surprise to us up here, so. Um, yeah, and, and that's, that's just my thoughts on the retail side, sort of. Yeah. So are there anything though, Matt, on, on the actual production side that are real sticklers that kind of don't make sense? I mean, you said a lot of them are just legacy things. They're like left over because of beer law from 80 years ago. Is there something that, is there a couple of things that the Brewers Association or the Brewers Guild, I mean, are uh, uh, looking at again and would love to see a little relaxation on? Yeah, I mean, well, um, with all this, I mean, uh, meetings and gatherings of brewers across the state have been pretty, pretty scarce, but it, it, I would like it. The thing is with the ABCA, they are willing to work with us. They've, mm -hmm. they've never, n never really um, gave us any other idea that they, they were against us, but it, it's, it's a lot working with the wholesalers and, and the wholesalers are our partners, like at least at Big Timber, like we do a lot of wholesale business. It's, it's still the majority of our business. And, um, you know, but the problem is we, I mean, the lines of communication, everybody's, it, it's hard to dedicate a lot of time and um, effort to educate people to make this change to make any kind of change and that's that's because we're all small businesses we're all busy um and to be like i finally have time um let's meet now and then you know you got to get the planets aligned to to get a bunch of people in the same room at the same time to actually make moves with this stuff um uh, as far as policies, like we see um, outside of the state, there's a lot of direct mail order beer, um, you know, which that would be great to do. I, I see where there's going to be a lot of pushback to do that. But, um, you know, whenever we got started, the whole idea was uh, we started self-distribution, but we knew that wasn't like, for us, for our plan, it was going to make financial sense just because West Virginia is a hard state to get around um, and it's 
sparsely populated. So we were always planning on signing with distributors. But that was six years ago and the craft beer business is crazy and it's nothing like it was six years ago. And that was, you know, make a system as big as you could afford, um, sell as much beer as possible. You're, you're not gonna be able to keep up. Well, now it's gotten smaller, more specialty. And it's like, we were fortunate to hit the market when we did, cause we have a lot of shelf space and we wanna keep that shelf space. That, that is what keeps the lights on. But um, now with like small specialty beers, we find a bigger problem of, uh, of basically communicating to get one case down to Jeff in Huntington from Elkins or whatnot. And it's, um, and most of the time it works out fine, but it is, you know, distributors are designed to move a lot of beer. Like it doesn't, it's hard to make a distributor and your idea is you're gonna sell one can of beer to or 12 16 ounces of beer to one person every three months like that doesn't really make sense to build a business around that's um you know there's huge logistic companies that can actually um do that and it's uh like uh well a good example is um uh the uh the head brewer at uh at Jackio's, um Clark, Brad Clark, he he left Jackio's and then he moved to California and he's got a brewery completely dedicated to putting out specialty. Most of them are gonna be barrel aged or uh stouts or whatnot. And you know, he might move two hundred barrels a year or something. I, I heard him talk about it and uh but the idea was he it was going to be a mail order service you subscribe and if if you're a fan of his beers and you dedicate it you you pay like a monthly fee and you get a shipment every so often and i think he said like he was going to try to make it consistent but you know there might be a gap because the beer wasn't up to snuff but he was gonna make sure that you got your money's worth. And it's like, that's actually a really great business plan, I think, but that would never fly in West Virginia. And- Because you um, can't ship beer as a brewery in West Virginia, right? Correct. And it's, it makes a problem with like sending off samples for labs and whatnot, but it's, and, um, you know, like, yeah. you know, the cideries that we have now can do the direct shipment and they ship their ciders all over the country and yep. to West Virginians and they can do the cider of the month club or, you know, I'm not sure that a West Virginia brewery in and of itself would want to do that. But at a distributor level, you know, you could have a, you know, West Virginia beer club that you get beers from all over the state. And Chuck, to, to add to that, I, I, I tried to tackle this issue with the ABC nine months ago when we were trying to get home delivery. And uh, I explained to them that was Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia all allowed direct shipment. Yes, they do. Uh, and I mentioned that 
that the framework for that exists already in West Virginia code, that wineries and cideries can do this. And the ABC's hang up is that they think that it's going to be a constitutional issue with other states and they don't want to step on the toes of the wholesalers. That's the last one is the reason, I think. And you know, the fact that the ABC doesn't understand the Constitution. But maybe what you need to think about is if the wholesalers are involved and they, maybe they're the direct shippers, but it still sells a lot of West Virginia beer. Well, I, can, I think that the easy uh, solution to that is to uh, tie in direct shipment to uh, uh, on-premise sales. So the, the person places an order and it's directly sent or faxed or whatever to the brewery or they call over the phone and they purchase it directly from the brewery that that, that could be considered an on-premise sale that, that could be shipped out. So no. by then you don't have to worry about uh, the, the three-tier system and going through wholesalers. And I know I'm probably pissing off my, my distributor friends, but it is what it is, guys. Hey, uh, but Jeff, wouldn't that apply then to like Matt Kwasniewski's tap room as a retailer too. You know, he would just like, or Summit Beer Station, you all could do direct sales, which makes perfect sense as a retail sale and have a yeah. shipment if you're allowed to ship. Yeah. And uh, I, another excuse uh, and justice gave this uh, last Thursday is that they have no way to enforce uh, ID checks. Uh, uh, but I, uh, to me, I think that's a very silly, silly argument to make when they have already temporarily legalized <laughs> home delivery. They figured it out temporarily. Why can't we do this permanently? So uh, other states have figured it out. The, take the framework that exists in Ohio. Take the framework that exists in Virginia. Create the well, permit. Have, uh, get whatever fees you want out of it. I don't know, but, uh, the framework well, exists. Yeah, and to reiterate on that, like uh, UPS and FedEx, I mean, they have a selection that says, hey, you must be 21 to, to sign and receive this. And that, that right. shouldn't be a problem. No, it's, it's not. Uh, and that, that's just somebody that just doesn't understand how modern shipping technology works. If you, are, if you have to sign off for something and a competent adult over the age of 21 has to sign for it, like you have to do with any whiskey club, any tequila club, and most beer clubs that I've ever had anything to do with. Um, that's just somebody just doesn't know what they're talking about throwing something out there, which not getting political sounds like certain members of our current government. Yeah, but, but you know, we already and have for a number of years had, uh, they've licensed wine shipments into West Virginia. Well, how do they, you know, Exactly. Those, they're, they're, that's a part of West Virginia's state law and they're allowing it to happen every day. And they're telling our breweries, well, you can't do it, but we allow all these out-of-state wineries to do it. Come on. So there's a Supreme Court case directly on point about out-of-state wineries being able to sell anywhere in the United States. Yep. Well, I mean, that's why. And that's <laughs> why most states allow breweries to do it. You know, like all of our, most of our surrounding states. Anyway. And the reason why our state doesn't allow breweries to do it is because the, the specific case only talks about wineries. And while it mentions alcohol, it only talks about Michigan wine. <laughs> so because it doesn't say whiskey and it doesn't say beer, certain members of the bar who happen to be working for the state of West Virginia you don't understand the Constitution of the United States, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
All right. Well, let me uh, let's get back to to Matt here. I want Matt to weigh in on this, and then if anyone else has a question here for Matt, as far as from the Brewers' perspective of what they're thinking on on policy currently. Well, just to push a little bit more on that direct shipment, it's like it doesn't make sense for us to like direct ship IPA at this point. Like we move enough big timber IPA that we need a wholesaler to do it. And also it doesn't make sense for every brewery to start direct shipping beer because I hate shipping stuff. Like <laughs> it's a lot of packaging, especially beer. Like you don't want to, but, but if, if the thing is, it's going to be a premium product and you're going to have to charge extra for it. And it's not like every West Virginian is going to quit buying beer at the grocery store to get direct ship beer. And it's just, it's a specialty product. Beer didn't used to be a specialty product. It was like a commodity. It was just, you had three choices, you picked one of them and that was it. But as the industry has matured, it's like West Virginia needs to change, but that's, that's the whole thing. Like don't like change. And instead of, instead of allowing it to happen and then seeing what shouldn't happen or when people take advantage of it and making a change then they're so afraid of of you know the floodgates opening and all of a sudden craziness happens and that's not i don't feel like it's going to be the case but there's there's positives and negatives to it but it's like yeah it's if we're gonna ship especially like a pastry style i I feel like sometimes it's it's kind of a hang up for our distributors to try to get that case delivered to the one account that wants it. <laughs> but, um, but, but hey, man, I like I that, could, by the way. No, that, that's good for me. If I could get the best of West Virginia beer and a beer of the month club or quarterly, I could get your stout and I could get Chestnut Brew. Uh, Brew Works and I could get Higher Ground or wherever. Just the best of West Virginia beer delivered. And that could start spreading our beer across the adjacent states and get a good market going. Ooh, because sounds like a business project for Summit Beer Station. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, other things as far as like, well, we'd like to change, you know, they bumped up the ABV. Honestly, I think it should be a process thing. Um, you know, beer made by normal or alcohol made by fermentation without any other outside factors should be called beer or made with grain. Um, you should be able to get, uh, have multiple licenses in the same building. So if somebody wanted to make a cider that also makes beer, I mean, the equipment makes sense. You, you have the same equipment. Um, why handicap uh, a business like if they need to be able to pivot to make another fermented beverage, it's not that different from fermented grain. It's not different from fermented fruit for the most part. So it's, you're saying like you could co-locate the license at the same place in the same facility. Yeah. Like we should be able to, as a brewery, get a winery license. Like it doesn't make sense to that, to me that that's not possible. Right. As long as the federal law allows it, which they do, uh, mm -hmm. the state law should, should allow it as well. Yeah, and I think, well, when you look at federally, like the breweries have, the craft beer boom, 
a large part of it was deregulation where um, I think at West Virginia, it's not, they're allowing us to do more. They're allowing us to do more per se, but it's not deregulation. There's, there's more regulation involved and it should just be less regulation, give us more freedom. And then whenever they see somebody take advantage of it or, you know, do something that they didn't expect, then they could, then they could regulate that. But instead it's more like, okay, we'll allow you to do this, but you got to fill out five other forms. And for, uh, and I feel for the people at the ABCA because most of them have been there for a long time. And from what I gather, I'm sending in more paperwork every year to them. And to me, I'd be like, there's not that much different that I do. Like, we, we still do pretty much the same thing we did five years ago. And it's, and to me, I'd be like, I don't think they're looking at some of it. Maybe they are, but I don't get a lot of feedback from it. And I feel like it's just, you know, the, they're just expanding the, the paperwork monster. And to me, that's, it's not good, but. I don't um, understand why they don't try to make their lives easier. Uh, that's just the uh, such a baffling aspect to, to all of this. Uh, yeah, and that's like that's I do I file most of the paperwork to them, and I'm just like I find myself spending more time sending paperwork to the ABCA, and honestly, it's not because I'm doing anything different; it's because they're requesting more, but I'm getting less feedback from it. But it's just the it's that thought that like whoever has the most paperwork wins or something. And it's like, well, I'm going to do my due diligence, but. Right. That it sense. has a reputation nationally for these things. <laughs> Let's get that straight. Breweries yeah. across the country understand yeah. how difficult it is here. I will Pretty never forget. the last brewery the Bells came to. Last state the Bells exactly. came to. Exactly. Larry, Larry Bell. Bell. Larry Bell said Larry. he's not going to enter West Virginia if he had to hire a lawyer to do it. So. You know, this is scary, but I'm going to agree with both of them, Matt and Jeff. I think we could simplify our licensure process and not have any less oversight. I think we could simplify our label approval process. I think we could make it, you know, streamline the process and make it so you could upload it and have a tracking system and make this work very well for the ABCA. And we just need to put some effort into the system. And I think they're good people doing a great job. It's just the paperwork, as you guys said, sort of overwhelms people at times. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the ABCA didn't write those laws. I mean, this, we got a mess of laws, as Jeff alluded to earlier, that are, and, and, and Matt too, you know, they go back 80 years, they go back to prohibition after prohibition, and they're, they're crazy, and they're like stacked on, they don't fit together, and the ABCA's got to try to administer that. It's a nightmare. Charles, they wrote their own administrative rules and they write their own administrative rules and that's where the rubber really hits the road with this crap. There's nothing in the code about labeling. Nothing in the code about labeling. It, it's all administrative rules. Well, that's and they can, they can clean that stuff up. They're making themselves, they've made themselves more work because that makes them more important in the past. That's why they've done it. And now they're finding themselves, now instead of having three or four state breweries, they've got 25 we don't know how to handle this because they've only added like two staff members in the last couple of years. Well, Rob, what if they had a system where you could upload your label 
you've already went through the label process several times and you check mm -hmm. these different boxes and fill out important information as to ingredients that are new right. that aren't approved or anything like that and they could review that on a database they could pull it up and review it and and either approve it or if it's not approved in 10 days it's approved or they could yeah. put a put a halt on that one until they get back to you oh that you would mean work. like other one that i've advocated has always been just the affidavit system whereas that the the producer actually just says we we affirm under penalty of perjury that this label to the best of our knowledge comports to all legal requirements in the state of west virginia in the united states of america here it is and if they, something comes back in five or ten days it automatically goes through see and, to, and to if, me, you, if you flat out if you're just flat out lying if you're committing perjury i mean because that 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 causes people to think about twice before they sign it it is yeah, wrong you've committed perjury people aren't going to do that people are going to say yeah this beer is five percent when it's 15 percent because it's perjury yeah. it's an affidavit but, system that's what virginia does i i don't even think like why do we need a label approval who looks at it amen nobody amen but like so why not instead of whenever we submit our license it's here are the rules of beer you got them if you don't commit to those rules then you're 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 uh you could forfeit your license and that way instead of them filing you know hundreds of license or hundreds of labels they can just say like um they can have somebody out there that's buying a can off the shelf checking the abv making sure it's within three tenths of a percent and uh calling it a day yeah and that way if somebody's straight up lying or uh, somebody's coming up <laughs> that, you know some people have said basically make it presumptive if the uh, ttb approves your label if you're selling out of state it's okay exactly. in west virginia exactly a process that works very well yeah they only uh require sort of ultra approval on things that are new and different that aren't on their ingredient list and it yeah. works very well yeah yeah and i'm saying like don't worry about approval worry about enforcement and that way if if you find somebody that's lying about abv or whatnot you can just you can keep adding like then all of a sudden they're on probation and if they get caught again lying about you know abv or using ingredients that aren't approved by the fda like fine do it like that instead of sitting there and making sure that there's 20 pieces of paper attached to a right. beer that's going to be gone in three weeks so right. gentlemen i have to step out for about two minutes i'll be right back okay yeah let me uh we got want to kind of get this thing wrapped up here before long i need to get with chuck johnson chuck because i know you had some information on the cider uh law and i know we had some changes that were made last year in the legislation and maybe they're coming back you said one was vetoed if you could just give a quick briefing on uh, on the cider law in west virginia now yeah so we had 4159 house bill 4159 was passed and it really was an attempt as we suggested earlier to almost start a rewrite of the law and they were going to create a special class of manufacturing for cideries instead of lumping them in with the wineries and one of the reasons that that's important is that you know cideries really compete with their product with the breweries 
a cider is closer to the people that consume cider are closer to the beer drinkers than the wine drinkers and the cideries pay because they're a farm winery the same excise tax that you do on wine so it was really anti-competitive and it didn't work very well so yeah they I said, think look let's that do excise, Chuck, that wine tax is like a dollar a gallon and it's ridiculously high yeah. compared to what you pay on beer so well, it's hard for them gallon. to compete yeah. charles yeah 18 ahead, a gallon versus a dollar a gallon i can see why the cideries uh think they're getting screwed <laughs> well and the consumer is if you have to go pay instead of four or five dollars for a uh a, a craft cider you have to pay 10 then they're going to get a beer now, Matt, you may like that, but the cideries, it's hard for them to compete, you know? And so yeah. that's, the, that's the competitive factor. But so here was what they did. They said, look, we're gonna have a separate class of manufacturers for cideries. We're gonna have an agricultural development fund that has money set aside so we can grow agricultural apples in West Virginia and sell them here and throughout the East Coast. And it was a great idea because we can grow apples here. It's just, we're not growing the right brand, right types of apples here. Um, and they had a separate tax structure to support this that was comparable. So it was very innovative and, and getting this law passed was really a positive uh, approach. Uh, it was vetoed. And so maybe what I would say is let's go back and see if there's pieces we can pick out of this in the same vein of sort of rewriting um, uh, these laws that, that, that to make them more workable. Uh, I think the cideries would look to maybe be able to sell um, uh, off-premises sales, maybe larger samples in their tasting room, uh, those kind of things, and make Growlers. it more uh, competitive across the types of uh, alcohol. Yeah, and Charles, like I'm not against any of that because, like I said, they need to they need to deregulate the God, my dog is one, but they need to deregulate, like, or the ABCA needs to, like, start with a clean slate and say, what are we trying to, what are we trying to achieve here? And, you know, like, there's plenty of other countries that charge tax on ABV. So if you're making a 10% wine and I'm making a 15% beer, I'm not getting a a tax break on it just because one's made with fruit and one's made with grain that it doesn't make sense it makes sense when most of the stuff you make with grain is five percent most stuff you make with fruit is ten percent and so on and when you distill it you're thirty percent plus and it's just why not just simplify what it, the more alcohol that's in a product you should charge more excise tax for it and and um there's one other thing that I didn't touch on, but the whole uh, uh, collaboration thing. If businesses want to work together in West Virginia, you should say, go for it. Like there should be not all this like, where's it produced, who cares? And, you know, if the two businesses are willing to work together, which I think that's like something that doesn't happen too often in the state, they should just allow it to happen. Like. It, it, have them set up their agreement and that's how it should be governed instead of saying like well if they got a distribution agreement here and whatnot 
I mean, everything seems like it's 10 times more complicated than it needs to be. And if they just said, okay, you're allowed to do that. You take advantage of it, you'll lose that, um, you know, you won't be able to do it anymore. Yeah. But, when we, I like the idea that, you know, that innovation that the cideries tried to, to get into the, to, the, to the new law, but it was vetoed. Do you know why, what was the main reason for that veto? Are you, can you speak on that? I do know why, but I can't speak on it. Uh, so, um, uh, <laughs> but, but that being said, it, it was just first started of innovation. And uh, I think we should go back and try to continue that effort. And, and as to Matt's comment, um, you know, and, and House Bill 3098, I think if you look at that, and I need to get it out to another brewer that asked this question, it looks like brewers can now do some distilling if they get the right license. So it's a start. It's a start in the right direction. And so we just need to continue. And, and sometimes it's one step forward to, you know, half step back, you know, those kind of things. And we just got to keep moving. Um, but uh, I think that for cideries, they can really have an agricultural impact on the state. And eventually brewers can do the same if they can start sourcing their products locally. And so that's a big plus for the state as well. Yeah, we've cool. certainly seen a, a growth in uh, breweries buying local products to put into their into their beer. Yeah, I mean, we buy local product, but why would, uh, if we made a beer with with apple sugar, we can make we can make it up to forty nine percent apple sugar, which is halfway to full on cider. Yes, but man, we have. 51% where uh, um, we need a wine license and that's not possible and, you know, probably lose our brewer's license over it. And it's just those, and like you said, cider and, and um, beer, it's, it's a very similar crowd. It's, uh, it's, it's a, it's directed at a similar customer. It's a, it's a lower ABV product. It's a, a, a beverage, um, not a, not necessarily a sipper. And I just, it, it baffles me that there's, I, to me, all of that law and code, it's just, it's archaic because, you know, at the time they found out they could, you know, grains weren't as modified. So beer usually didn't hit the ABV that you know, a cider would because that's a simple sugar and yeast can break that down, shoot the ABV up. So fruit, any kind of fermented fruit, higher alcohol, let's tax it higher. Fermented grain, well, it's not going to get that high. And then if you distill it, well, you can get it up there and you tax it differently. And Let me throw and you a curveball. What is uh, what is this seltzer stuff? It can be like malt based, or it could be apple based, or you know, it could be fruit based. I mean, there's there's no definition there, and I don't know if we need to do something there or or, or how we should address that. It's registered as a malt beverage, so. <laughs> Are you talking about the uh, stuff that Parkersburg Brewer Brewing does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's registered as malt beverage. Yeah, the but malt yeah. beverages fall under beer. But uh, for instance, like. Parkersburg and like many of the other big national brewers that are making seltzers, 
they're using primarily, they're just using sugar. They're not using malt yeah. uh, in any way. It, yeah, well, so it's, it's, the, it's the overall issue of, of a, lack of, uh, a lack of equity of enforcement in the state. That's just, <laughs> that's, that's the problem. There's no equity in any of this. So uh, down to the way that individual uh, uh, codes are enforced. So yeah. uh, well, I, I think and, that's the general theme. <laughs> And we did a seltzer as well. And when talking to the state, they just say, well, whatever the feds go by. And the federal government, it's like, if it's, if it's grain and, you know, table sugar, sugar cane derived, that counts as a grain and not as a fruit. Um, we used corn sugar in ours. So, but it, it, it's not malt, it, but it's because it's corn, it counts as a grain. Grain. Um, well, we're, we're talking about a state that considers a salt packet as a prepared food and a candy bar as not. So, <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with. Hey, guys, yeah. uh, we got to wrap this up, and I really appreciate what I'm hearing. I think some of the big takeaways I'm getting is that we need more creativity in our laws. We need to have more flexibility. But I want to go to each of you and ask for, you know, like a final thought and comment on uh, on the whole topic of alcohol policy, beverage alcohol policy. Jeff, I'll start with you. <laughs> that, that's some serious pressure right there. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that uh, honestly, my, my uh, approach right now and, and my, I guess, uh, motive for all this is no different than what it was, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when I uh, helped start Rails and Ales and that we need to continue to uh, progress <laughs> in the in the beverage and service industry in West Virginia. So we we need to um, uh, have the, the the mechanisms uh, at the state uh, kind of maybe shift, change, mold, whatever we need to do to 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 continue to foster an environment in which bars and restaurants and breweries, distilleries, cideries, wineries can can continue to survive. And it's it's kind of bubbled up. Uh, over the pandemic that, that the issues that we've always been dealing with are, are that much worse uh, currently. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's vital that, that we make an effort to start chipping away at this, if not uh, throw it out entirely and start anew. All right. Rob Abston, your summation, please. I, I'm going to say what I've always said for like the last 10 years is that we need a amend the constitution of the state of West Virginia, throw out 1116, throw out chapter 60, throw out all this stuff and put everything under one uniform alcohol code that recognizes that the two problems, the two issues that we have in West Virginia are making sure that it is productive for an economic standpoint, but keeping it out of the hands of people who should not have it, whether that be minors, whether that be professional alcoholics or whatever having a code that basically regulates consumption on one hand just for you know restricting it for, for people that, that shouldn't have it and on the other hand encouraging production manufacturers sale retail etc uh, ditching all these different little fiefdoms there should be no difference between wine cider beer liquor mead whatever uh, i think you need to start from scratch and it's crap at all all right thank you very good and Matt Kwasniewski, you're up next. All right. Um, yeah, follow up. I agree with Rob. And uh, 
I don't agree with you, Charles, when you said be more creative. I think they need to simplify the laws because I think they've gotten way too creative with the yeah. laws and their interpretations of of such. And it's it's just make it black and white. If somebody uh, enters a gray area, um, figure it out whenever it happens instead of, um, you know, kneecapping everybody else for uh, they're just trying to do a business and promote, um, you know, I don't want to say like consumption, but just promote uh, people enjoying West Virginia beverages and um, especially on the retail side, being able to help support those accounts that, I, I mean, nobody expected this kind of year. It's already a hard business to be in and, uh, you know, we had our trials and tribulations, but most of our retailers went through a lot more than what we did. So fortunately we had a canning line. So. Okay, uh, Chuck Johnson, you get the final word. Well, I'm all in favor of trying to do some simplification to the regulations and the statutes, but I think immediately we can do some simplified procedures that don't do away with any regulatory oversight. And we can make it easier both on, you know, the manufacturer and the retailer and on the ABCA. And frankly, they need our support. They are probably overwhelmed. During the pandemic, they had to get some uh, added revenue to get some more inspectors out there. They are very much overwhelmed. And so I think if we put investment into the system, it can, it can make the whole industry grow and make it easier. So I think that's valid. Um, I'd like to see labeling simplification. I'd like to see some uh, simplification of the laws. And if I look at Ohio, Virginia, Kentucky, they can make it work and they can make this stuff uh, easy to grow the industry. And uh, we still have a lot of growth to do in West Virginia. Okay, I thank all of you. Jeff McKay, Summit Beer Station, Huntington, West Virginia. Matt Kwasniewski, Big Timber Brewing in Elkins. Chuck Johnson with Frost Brown Todd Law Firm in Charleston. And Rob Abston, my co-host here on West Virginia Beer Roads. Again, thank you for joining us for this discussion of alcohol policy and law. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.